Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Sunday. It's actually very early on a Sunday. This is an emergency Peristyle Podcast. Now, can there really be one? It's the interim head coach. USC just got blown out by Oregon State uh, in the Coliseum floor on Saturday night. But, you know, we wanted to talk about this. Was not expecting this result. Thought Oregon State would play well. So we're going to bring in Gerard Martinez, who does an amazing job over at uscfootball.com, covering recruiting. But, of course, he knows everything that's going on with the team as well. So we'll have him on here in just a second. Follow him on Twitter at GMartLive for this emergency edition of the podcast. I'm back in the uscfootball.com studios, and it's almost 1.30 in the morning. So we're going to go over this game. Uh, the Trojans fall to the Oregon State Beaver, Beavers, 45-27. to 27. Uh, questions, comments, concerns, email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, or you can call or text us at 424-254-9141. We'll have our regular shows, Harvey Hyde on Monday, and we'll, do t- we'll also do Tunnel Vision on Sunday night, and also we have uh, our Family Feud show with Keely Shotgun and Chris. That'll be coming up this week, and then Keely and I will do a podcast a little bit later this week, heading into the Colorado game, uh, coming up a road game against the Colorado Buffaloes. Uh, but yes, let's jump in right in with Gerard Martinez for this emergency podcast. Gerard, it's late. Thanks for joining us uh, on on this uh, Sunday morning to talk some USC football. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, it takes a loss at 1.30 in the morning to get me on a podcast, doesn't it? it it's, it's truly an emergency when <laughs> we're up this late and we're talking about a loss in the middle of a USC head coaching search. And so that obviously impacts the head coaching search to some extent, these type of losses and how USC loses. And we're trying to dissect them and, you know, sort of see where USC goes from this point on. And so um, there is one thing I have to correct you on, though. I don't know everything going on with the football team. If I did, I would have answers for why USC cannot seem to recruit good local wide receivers at the high school level. Ryan Abraham, this is a question (laughs) that I have no answer to. I also have no answer to why USC has not been able to land any good offensive tackles from the transfer porthole, having put two offensive tackles in the NFL draft. I am without answers for these two things. There's a lot of questions and not a lot of answers. And uh, usually, Gerard, when something like this happens, it's just like, see, this is why you have to fire Clay Helton. This is why you have to fire Clay Helton. Well, Clay Helton's gone, uh, but they're still, this is the, the team that he created. And, you know, two games of Dante Williams is not going to fix uh, everything. You know, making players not wear hoodies and hats to meetings is not going to make the team uh, be significantly better. So uh, there was a lot of accountability talk in the press conference. We're going to get to that uh, in a second. But what I what stuck out to me, Gerard, is if you remember last week, USC falls down 14 nothing, and then really kind of takes control in the second quarter and has an amazing third quarter, 28 points, um, didn't allow any points to Washington State. Really those middle two quarters just dominated. And if you look at this game, it was the exact – opposite in those middle two quarters and then you know bleeding into the 
a little bit into the fourth quarter, Oregon State, just like one uh, play into the fourth quarter, I believe, Oregon State uh, scores five touchdowns in a row, including two 92-yard drives. Absolutely crazy. Just gashing this USC defense. It was a 35-7 to run in the middle of the game. Complete opposite of what we saw uh, last week. But, man, Gerard, that was... Oregon State just took control, you know, two 92-yard drives in a row and then getting some stops on USC and just, you know, throwing the ball. You know, Chase uh, Nolan looked great out there. He looked like he looked like he was going to win the Heisman or something. He was running. He was throwing. Uh, you know, they would have wide, like some bootlegs one direction and they have a wide-open receiver in the other. Uh, but that, to me, Gerard, that middle-of-the-game stretch is really what put things away for USC. Yeah, against Stanford... USC gave up some big plays defensively against Oregon state. They gave up some big plays, but more so they were on skates, just trying to defend Oregon state up and down the field. Oregon state, I think was even more dominant in this win against USC than Stanford was. Stanford had some great plays, some jump balls. They have that big run early in the game to gash USC's defense, but it didn't, feel like the beatdown that was given tonight by Oregon State. Oregon State was so methodical in how they approached going after USC's defense. And USC's defense with play action and the boot and running the ball, they just they really had no answers for Oregon State the whole game. And what we saw during the shortened season was some of these instances early on in games, but Todd Orlando seemed to be able to dial in the pressure. He has not been able to dial in the pressure in the second half in these games this year as much. You're not seeing quite as much consistency from the edge rushers, and you're not seeing the disruptiveness from blitzing the linebackers, which is sort of part of this defense. It's not really a blitz so much as it is part of the scheme because you're usually only going to have two down defensive linemen in this type of tight front. So, that's really sort of hurt them. You know, it's a defense that moves around a lot. It has a lot of moving pieces, and it just seemed like every time USC moved the piece to a certain position, Oregon State had an answer for that, and they would attack that gap, and they would gash USC for five, six yards. And there was a lot of those type of five, six yards on first down. Man, that's easy street. I mean, you're set up for the rest of that drive to be able to move the football and get a first down. And then when you have a guy that's somewhat mobile – um, Chance Nolan was able to get some third down conversions through that, and USC wasn't. And that was one of the things I tweeted when you saw USC last weekend. You saw with Jackson Dart what the ability to move the chains with a quarterback that can just tuck the ball and run it. And you can get five or six yards on a third down when nobody's open. And that just continues drives. It just gives you more chances against the defense. And USC doesn't have that with Keaton Slovis. And USC has not had that really going back to you know JT Daniels which was one of the main questions when they recruited Daniels and they're coming away from Sam Darnold, you saw how effective Sam Darnold was in that offense because he was able to move. If the offensive game plan didn't have an answer for the defense, if you didn't have anybody open, well, Sam Darnold can tuck the ball and he can get four or five yards. He can get himself also out of a lot of negative plays. USC cannot do that with a pocket quarterback. They haven't been able to do that with a pocket quarterback. And right now, Keaton Slovis is that pocket quarterback that's just not being able to make any plays when everything else breaks down. And that seems to be something that is definitely both from, I think, just inspiring the offense. Like, 
when you bring in Jackson Dart, he's a freshman. The guy's out there making plays. He's trying. I think everybody sort of rallied around him. There wasn't that sense of, hey, let's go play for Keaton this weekend. It just felt like the defense was out there, the offense was out there, and they were just out there playing. And again, I, I kind of harken back to even the Oregon game in the Pac-12 championship last season, where I felt like USC's offense came out with like a spring ball playbook. It wasn't necessarily a playbook where they looked at the personnel that Oregon had and said, okay, we're going to attack Oregon here, here, and here, because this is what we've seen on tape, and this is what we've seen with the personnel. It was more, hey, this is what we do. You know, this is what we've been practicing, so we're just going to go out there oblivious of what the defense is going to do and what their personnel is, and we're just going to try to do this. And it just didn't work. And they've kind of looked like that this season with Keaton Slovis, whereas you throw Jackson Dart in there, and obviously there's not as much tape of Jackson Dart, and he's a different style of quarterback. But he's also a guy that, and we saw this in fall camp, he will go and throw the ball and let his receivers make plays. For better or for worse, Michael Trigg, Drake London, he's going to chuck that ball downfield and say, hey, go make a play for me. And that's not Keaton Slovis. That's not what he does. Keaton Slovis is much more conservative, and we saw him hold on the ball too long for a lot of plays tonight. Yeah, you know, and we, we like you mentioned with Sam Darnold, we've seen this before. To me, and let me get your thoughts on this, Gerard, is this an indictment on – the offensive scheme itself when it works best when plays just break down and you have a playmaker, a quarterback, um, if things were on schedule, if everything was working the way they should, Keaton Slovis should be fine. You find the guy who runs the grass, open dude, you throw him the ball. I'm just not seeing, we saw multiple plays where in Oregon state, like you could just tell like, Oh my God, that guy's wide open. It was a great misdirection or whatever it was. Just they schemed the guy open and they, they were able to confuse the defense and, you let, you know, Tyson Lindsay run free, um, you know, you, all by himself. Uh, not just like the blocking up front where you're like gashing for running plays, but I mean, just like in the passing, you know, and maybe because you're able to run the football well, guys bite and you it's easier to get those guys open. But I just don't see that on the other side. And so I'm not sure if it's saying, hey, Keaton Slovis, you're bad. Or is it like the schemes that you're running, things aren't working. People have figured it out. The defenses know what's going on. The only way this offense is going to work is if you have a quarterback that just takes it and makes a play on his own, which it seemed like with the gumbo, that's what Sam Darnold did, right? It wasn't necessarily, you called this great play. You had a great playmaker at quarterback, and he made it happen. Is that where we are now, where it's like you just need a playmaker at quarterback because that's the only way this offense is going to work? Yes, with oh, a caveat. <laughs> the caveat is, that is sort of college football today. A lot of the offenses that we see and a lot of the offenses that have been pretty prolific, and you can even look at Alabama right now with Bryce Young, there are going to be those plays where things break down. And if you've got a quarterback that can either nullify a big negative play, so you're not all of a sudden down in the hole seven yards, or he can actually make a play and maybe he gets – five yards, maybe he gets 30 yards being able to run. That can flip the field, and that's a huge thing in college football because you're dealing with 20 hours. You're dealing with a limited amount of practice and a limited amount of time where you're sitting in front of your quarterback and your offensive skill players. And so I think that's just part of college football today where we have seen that be successful, and it's really – really been prolific with all of these offenses that tend to be really good offenses. 
at the same time also acknowledging that the gumbo offense was not good. It was really sort of a grab bag of, hey, let's do what I saw Lane Kiffin do. Let's do what I saw Sarkeesian do. You know, the issue with that offense to me was always it was somebody else's ideas that Clay Helton was trying to recycle but didn't create himself. We have to remember Clay Helton was a glorified position coach as head coach at USC. He was never an offensive coordinator that called his own plays at USC. He was under two head coaches that were offensive coordinators who called their own plays and designed their own playbooks. So he was just sort of a passenger in that seat. He was never a guy that actually understood the play design concept aspects of those playbooks from a you know fundamental base standpoint. So when he's trying to bring them all together, you know, there may be just concepts there that just didn't work together. And that's what you sort of felt with that offense. With this offense, obviously Graham Harrell comes in. He knows that offense pretty well. He played in that offense when he was in college. But I just think it's an offense that is based around marginal talent. It's based on certain things. And people just automatically wanted to just throw, like, great skill players in there and say, oh, my gosh. This is an offense that can score 50 points a game. At USC, it's going to score 150 points a game. I mean, it's just natural, right? That just makes sense. Well, that's not the way things work. That's not the way college football works. And so I think that's also part of the problem is just the air raid itself is not necessarily playing to the advantages that USC has in terms of personnel. Uh, I want to point out a few interesting stats uh, from the game. Um, USC actually had more first downs in Oregon State, 32 to 31. Yeah, they pulled that out at the end. <laughs> I, I know. Uh, guess how many first downs from penalty USC had? Nine. They had quite a few because Oregon State there for the first half was just down on penalties. They were really bad. They had quite a few penalties. Nine penalties by first, uh, I mean, the, for first downs by USC. Or for, you know, USC got nine yeah. first downs from Oregon State penalties. Uh, 14 penalties for 154 yards for Oregon State. 11 penalties for 98 yards for USC and it was a it was a pretty big gap for a while then USC sort of uh played catch up there. I mean the the big one 322 yards rushing for uh Oregon State 6.3 yards per rush. Uh, absolutely crushing USC 7.6 yards per play for Oregon State. USC had 6.1. Um so I mean about the same number of plays 70 and 71, but Oregon State got 535 yards out of those. And USC had 431, and it would be worse without some of the the garbage time stuff. But just gashing USC on the ground at one time, they're you know averaging like almost nine yards or more than nine yards a rush. Uh, it, yeah, those numbers just you can't you can't have that. USC would have some great plays every once in a while, so you know Drake London would make a great catch. But man, half the offense seemed like it was just coming from Oregon State penalties. They had three defensive holding calls on one drive for USC, which is absolutely crazy, but it didn't matter. I mean, all those penalties, uh, it still didn't seem to, it, it didn't seem to slow, slow down Oregon state. I mean, it seems like so the how many penalties trying. did you, so, so penalty wise, how, what was, what was the number for, uh, Oregon state altogether? Uh, 15, uh, for, right, but, I'm sorry, 14 then, for 154 yards. So, wow. So, I mean, they almost doubled USC, I mean, they did double USC in terms of USC's total rushing net. Uh, <laughs> they had more penalty yards than USC had rushing yards net, which is obviously something that we talked about, you know, coming into the season. Could USC run the ball after last season being so bad at running the football? I think it was, what, 3.6 yards 
they were averaging uh, rushing the rushing the ball game, and and that and, and in the interior of the defense was obviously a big question when you had Brandon Peely go down and Isaiah uh, Ishmael Shopsher has been you know a no show. Um, you really kind of wondered where USC would be in the interior, and they played well against San Jose State, and I think we expected more from San Jose State this season. Thought they were going to be a better team, bringing a lot of experience back, and how San Jose State. Uh, you know, we thought they were going to play. That's how Stanford and that's how Oregon State have played. They've been very uh, physical with USC and they've been able to run the ball right up the middle. And uh, to be honest, Oregon State was able to run the ball up the middle, but they're also able to run the ball on the edges. I mean, it looked like Clancy Pendergast's old uh, defense oh, or just no. How many ends around and arounds did they run? Like just so so well blocked. That so brought good. me back to Corvallis when we were at that uh, that Halloween game where uh, Oregon State upset USC and they kept running those sweeps, those jet sweeps, and it was like, ah, man, you got to do something to adjust to that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and USC didn't really have any answers that you know weren't able to contain. Uh, Nolan, I mean, there was definitely times where he rolled, rolled out and looked downfield. Nobody was open. He just took off and ran. And it wasn't just like picking up the third and six. It was like picking up 16 on third and six. You know I mean? He was just making big chunk plays. Um, Dante Williams, after the game, said, Tonight just wasn't our night. Oregon State tonight, they outcoached us and outplayed us. And he said, It will all get fixed. I promise you that. The whole message is to make sure we go one and zero today. We did not. We went zero and one. Um, yeah. So that was uh, the promise to get it fixed. Um, I mean, we heard, you know, five penalties was too many. We're going to get that fixed. Well, you had double that tonight. You know, obviously the the run game was supposed to get fixed in the last one. I don't. I don't like statements like that. I mean, this is his first go around and stuff. I think he's yeah. figuring out what yeah. he needs to say. But some of the stuff, I'm just like, yeah, maybe don't say that. No, I agree with that. I I think you know he's he's trying, and obviously this is uh, you know his first rodeo, and so he wants to be plurific, plurific, <laughs> English. Um, he wants to be emphatic about you know what he's saying, and he and I do appreciate the accountability. I mean, I'm glad that he says you know we got out coached tonight, and he includes that. That's something that has driven. Trojan fans kind of crazy over the years where Clay Helton kind of always seemed to pass the buck a bit and didn't really necessarily say, hey, that's on me. Uh, we need to be better. We need to prepare better. We need to do this, that, and the other. And Dante Williams, you know, steps up and says, hey, look, that's, you know, that's me. That's, that's, uh, we're not getting it done, obviously, in practice. And uh, it's showing in the games. I, I think accountability is obviously a huge issue for USC. And it's been over the years. And I mean, it's gone up to the top with USC, with, uh, you know, the, the people that they've hired, you know, you can only have so many different head coaches come and go before it's like, okay, the people that are making the decisions, <laughs> hiring these head coaches, you know, you have to start looking up the food chain a bit. And so they've got a new athletic department, um, you know, they've got new people in charge now that are going to have to make uh, a very crucial decision on a head coach. This is going to be uh, a bit make or break for USC here because of, you know, kind of where things have gotten. And I think, you know, from a culture standpoint, a loss like this does two things. I think first and foremost, it does set expectations a bit for the next two years with Trojan fans. I think there's, you know, this feeling like, hey, you know what, you just bring in a guy that's competent, that's proven that he can win somewhere else, and boom, it's easy street. We're going to get into the college football playoff right away. I think losses like this sort of take everybody uh, a moment to say, okay, wait a second, maybe 
things are a little deeper and there are deeper cultural issues. And that goes to the coaching search and what USC has to look at. What does Mike Bone and Brandon Sosna have to really evaluate in terms of root causes versus symptoms? Are you bringing in a guy that's going to sort of come in and maybe there's some early success and you hit the recruiting trail and you get success there, but you're not necessarily addressing some of the root causes which are going to you know, rear their ugly heads at one time or another eventually. Or do you bring in that guy that says, we're going to hit the reset button, and you give him carte blanche, and whatever he feels he needs to do, he needs to do. And you don't try to negotiate, well, you know, we really like this coach, and we really want to keep things like this, and we just want to change you know, these four things. You say, look, whatever you want to change, if it's 10 things, 100 things, you give him the keys and you say, go for it. So that these type of losses definitely, I think, you know, they have everybody kind of take a step back and, and, and look at things, I think, in an overview, maybe a little more than, hey, you know, we're, we're close. You know, maybe USC is not as close as Trojan fans thought they were, you know, 24 hours ago. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah. The, not a whole lot else was coming from that. I mean, uh, as far as the, the press conference afterwards, uh, RJ got to talk to, uh, Graham Harrell a little bit after the game. He said, Graham said, we dropped too many passes. I thought Keaton did a good job trying to hold the football and you've got to make the most of your possessions. And I haven't seen the film, but I will watch, uh, to figure out. Uh, but I don't know. Uh, I don't think that we had some missed opportunities at the end of the day that we just got outplayed. Um, There's sort of like kind of talking about what was going on there, but again, uh, I mean, that goes to players drop the ball. We didn't make plays and there's not a lot of accountability there from a coaching standpoint. Like, you know, you got outplayed, but you also got out coached. It seemed like you guys were a good step behind Oregon state on every other play. And this is Oregon state. We're talking about, this is not Oregon. This is not Ohio State. This is not a team that recruits a bunch of high-level four-star and five-star guys. And so when you're looking a step behind, it's because your guys are thinking too much or they're not thinking enough. There's a little more going on there. And again, I know what Trojan fans are going to read into with those comments, and they're going to say, take some accountability for not preparing to play against this particular team and not having a game plan that was meant to execute against Oregon state, not just your blanketed vanilla. This is what we do no matter who we play against. Yeah. And he also said, um, he thought that, uh, Slovis was throwing the ball pretty well. Cause there's definitely going to be criticism. People are talking about, you know, uh, it's like Slovis is not, um, you know, stopping Oregon state's run, <laughs> running game. But, you know, he had a couple late picks. There was a bad situation, but he didn't think the first pick was on Slovis. It was, you know, a hit, um, you know, Taj Washington in the hands. He had a, several drops, I think three alone from from Washington. But So wait, I'm just, uh, excuse me for interjecting here. So no. wait, so he did he make that comment on Slovis not stopping the running game of Oregon State was that that was no that was Farrell, me was sorry that, just, that, that was okay, me okay, saying because okay, okay. I'm like whoa that, that's stepping out of bounds a little bit there if he's making comments on how the defense is playing okay. that's like there, so if you're watching Twitter you're watching the Peristyle and people are like Slovis is terrible let's put in Miller Moss and um you know it's just one of those things that if Dart was available obviously people would be wanting him to to come into the game but in this case it's like you know 
Oregon State scored five straight touchdowns. Like Keaton Slovis has nothing to do with that. Um, you know, I was listening to the radio broadcast and Sue Cravens was getting pretty into, uh, you know, on the on my drive home he was getting into stuff and they had said something that was along the lines of like they didn't think that it, Keaton Slovis didn't lose the game for him, but he also didn't like go out there and win it either. Like there were some opportunities for him to kind of go out and and make the big play and win. And we saw you know Chance Nolan do that more than. Than Keenan did, but I, yeah, we, I'm not, we saw I, I, USC's offense from a year ago. I mean, it just seems like with Keaton Slovis in there, and and what we've seen against San Jose State, against Stanford, and all of last season, it's a team that has absolutely no urgency. It's very listless. It's very uninspired, and it sort of meanders. and And they didn't kind of snap out of it last season until the end of games. Like literally, with four minutes left, they scored two touchdowns and they beat. You know, Oregon or they beat. You know, they would beat Oregon State, but they would beat you know Arizona State. They beat uh, Arizona and they beat UCLA like that. And so, and they and they almost beat Oregon like that. But Oregon sort of was able to run the ball and, and be conservative and and basically just sit on the clock. That's sort of what they were doing, and it wasn't like the, all the issues were there still, right? I mean, we saw that. It was like the offense is still not playing well, like. You know, we can hear all about this winner's win, but at the end of the day, you're not playing well until the end of the game, and that is eventually going to bite you in the butt. And it did against Oregon, and now this season, we're seeing basically the same thing, and the the, the offense is just not being able to click, and, and the defense at the same time, against certainly against Oregon State, has just, I mean, yeah, they couldn't stop them at all. So <laughs> you're, you're trying, I mean, even if if USC was able to turn it on at the end of the game and let's say they make that comeback and they, they you know, they're able, because there were, you know, there was a couple drives there where you go, okay, you know, they're able to score here quickly, but the defense just, they couldn't stop Oregon State. So, you know, you're you're still going to lose that type of ball, ball, ball game. So I don't know. It, it definitely seems like, you know, the, the teams that they're playing against have sort of figured out USC defensively to some extent and the offense is still the offense it's the same thing we saw last season which was not good enough it really wasn't good enough they got away with some last minute wins but they're not doing that this year not at all all right uh why don't we do this oh, real quick before I will get into questions take a quick break and go into questions thanks to everyone if you came out for the uh, uscfootball.com tailgate party beforehand so uh, it was really cool. Trader Joe's provided a lot of stuff. Uh, Tailgater Concierge was awesome. That's a great service. They set everything up for us. They broke it down afterwards. Uh, I bought a whole bunch of beer. We got some um, like seltzers and uh, non-alcoholic drinks. And Dano was on the grill. Hot dogs, sausages, and uh, tons of Trader Joe's snacks. Um, it was great. Met so many people. Brandon Sosna, the chief of staff, came out on his birthday. Uh, not a great birthday. Oh, happy birthday to him. I know. I mean, this is not, uh, you know, the poor guy. This is not, this is not a, a happy birthday. I mean, to, 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 to end it like this. I mean, this is literally the nightcap for your birthday. And yeah, it was probably pretty hard to watch. No. Yeah, it was. I'm sure it was for him. I saw him at halftime, but I just thanked him for coming. It was great. He still, he stayed for over an hour at the tailgate talking to people. I mean, pretty much everyone told him go hire Urban Meyer. So he just, you know, was dealing with that. <laughs> and uh, it's funny. Someone on the peristyle asked to ba- backlight the, the peristyle, like on the peristyle, the message board, the actual yeah. peristyle on the Coliseum, I guess they used to have like these lights behind it. It looked kind of cool. And Brandon actually saw it, saw the picture and said, Hey, that is cool. And had it made it happen. So they did that at the, at the game. And so I posted that on the peristyle 
And people were just cool. like, thanks, Brandon. So yeah, he definitely reads. He listens. He he showed people his phone. They're like, do you really own the board? He like pulled up his phone, pulled up his browser on his phone, and it was uscfootball.com. So yeah, he's on there all the time. But really nice of him to come out. And it's a tough uh, time for him. They're going to be real busy with stuff. But everyone that came out, it was great. And I, we, we the, people were asking for you, Gerard. They want to know where you were. Um, But, you know. Maybe next time. We're gonna, we're, I think we're going to do this again. It did work really well. So hopefully people had fun if you came out there. And if you didn't, come out to the next one and we'll have a good time. Uh, all right. Let's take a quick break. Come right back and answer some questions. All right. We're back here. Emergency. Parasol Podcast. Ryan Abraham. Gerard Martinez. Uh, I think the last emergency one, Gerard, I think I downloaded like 20 voicemails out of like 40 something. We got closer to 20 this time, but I got like seven. So we'll kind of run through these and just see, just kind of like a sampling of what people had to say. Not as many people were, were sounding off cause it's, you know, this is less of an emergency. You have an interim head coach, USC's already lost the game. Um, Oregon State actually has been looking pretty good, even though they haven't played good competition. Last time it was the first loss. It was Stanford, who just got pummeled by Kansas State. Um, and Clay Helton was still the head coach. So uh, less of an emergency, but there's still people that are concerned. So why don't we go through these voicemails and get your thoughts? Uh, first up, here's one. Hi, Ryan. I watched the game last night, and I just am wondering why after – just one game, we thought that Clay Helton being fired would change the whole culture of USC football. We tend to think this way after a coach gets fired or there's a new quarterback, that there's going to be a change and we're going to start winning, but we beat Washington State like we were supposed to, and that's not impressive. We need to beat teams that we don't expect to beat, and we should have beaten Oregon State. Thanks. Robin from Virginia. Thanks, Robin. Um, I mean, it's a good point, right? <laughs> like Everyone was like, Dante this. Williams I'll, should I'll, be the head coach. I will, yeah. I'll, I'll just say it's the same reason why every weekend someone is a new candidate for winning a game uh, somewhere else as a head coach and someone is not a candidate anymore because they lost a game as a head coach. There's very much that. What have you done for me lately? Oh, Matt Campbell. Um, excuse me? You lost to Iowa? Uh, no, you're off. You're off. You're, please. This, not even can't even consider you. An interview for somebody who lost to Iowa? Oh, my gosh. Please. You know, that it's that sort of mentality. And, yes, the buggy was way ahead of the horse after the Washington State game. Chris Trevino, a resident troll and staff writer, uh, was on the message board and said something to the effect that I think Dante Williams could sign a five-star at every position if he was head coach. And that was just going to set the peristyle on fire. And it was one of those things like, hey, listen, it's Washington State. Okay, this is not Jason Gesser, Washington State. <laughs> this is Washington State that USC uh, put 28 points on in the first quarter last year. So let's just actually, well, yeah, last year, last season in the shortened season. So let's just, you know, take some time and let's just let everything play out. But obviously everybody's emotionally invested and they see something. And yes, they do want to make snap judgments. There's a little bit of that. I'd rather be first than I'd rather be right. Yeah, and it, I mean – like, I, I, it was so weird that we were have to answer questions like, well, what if 
Dante Williams runs the table and wins a national championship. You're like, holy cow, like wait, like in one game. And to be fair to Keaton Slovis, uh, who is, by the way, uh, all Pac-12 first-team quarterback from 2020 uh, and preseason all Pac-12 first-team quarterback that everyone just sort of like forgets about. To be fair to him, Jackson Dart got to do that against Washington State, a team that Keen Slovis lit up last year, like in a very similar fashion, just at different quarters. Um, we don't know if Slovis doesn't get hurt. Does he light him up the same way? Uh, it was it just that Washington State's bad and USC, got, you know, some kind of spark or whatever. I don't know. Uh, would Jackson Dart have struggled against a team like Oregon State tonight or Stanford? Like it's it's just hard to say. But you're just willing to make like these blanket statements um, and just be like, oh yeah. Dante Williams, he should be the head coach. And, uh, you know, Jackson Dart, he's the savior. He's going to be fair. Like, maybe those things are true. But, I mean, how could you possibly know that after one game against Washington State? Really, like, you know, three quarters of good play. Yes, it's emotional sort of knee-jerk reactions uh, that uh, get coaches fired on the tarmac. Yeah, Uh, which Lane Kiffin did a little trolling, taking a picture of with a picture from LAX, like looking out in the tarmac, he tweeted out this week. So that was pretty funny. There's, uh, hey, listen, I mean, we're at a point in time where there have been several people on the Peristyle who have suggested Lane Kiffin needs to grace that coaching hot board. So it's, you know, I, I mean, it's interesting. People definitely have different takes and different opinions. And you have people that are on the Peristyle are like, you people are the reason why we're in the mess we're in. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, like I did uh, – someone at the tailgate was like, Lane Kiffin. And I was like, no. <laughs> you know, like, would they consider him? Like, okay, I don't know what they're thinking, but no. And then I was I went golfing on Friday and uh, a friend of a friend, and he's a big USC fan, and he's like, Jack Del Rio. And I was just like – and I, I mean, I don't know him that well. And I just – I pretty much went off. <laughs> I was like, are you serious? And like, who else is going to hire him? Like, well, like, would like if Baylor has an opening, are they going to consider Jack Del Rio? No. Uh, if like Iowa State has an opening, are they going to? No. Um, if like Bowling Green has an opening, are they going to consider Jack Del Rio? No. Like, why would USC consider them if if these lower schools wouldn't do it? Um, so there's a lot of bad ideas out there, Gerard. So we don't we don't have to put them on the hot board just because someone wants us to. Um, let's uh, go to the next one. Hey, Peristyle Podcast, this is L.A. Fred calling. I really like Dante Williams, and I hope that the next head coach retains him on his staff because I think he's great at what he was doing. But clearly after tonight, can we all just please remove him from all the head coaching candidate lists that we see? I get that tonight's game is not Dante's fault. It's still Helton's culture, Helton's players, Helton's staff. And this thing's not going to turn around in two weeks. But no more interim coaches being offered the head spot because they were able to rally the troops down the stretch. Dante's great, but he's not close to being ready to be the head guy yet. Um, you know, well said. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that's basically what we were talking about. I think uh, there's you know a lot of value in that and. Um, I agree. You know, it's um, one of those things. I mean, it, it obviously hasn't worked out well, even for other teams. I, I think, you know, maybe 
you know, you look at Dabo Sweeney as the exception to the rule where something like that worked. And, you know, he was able to be an interim guy and then got hired full time, was never a coordinator really at Clemson, was not a coordinator in other places. He did come from Alabama, though. So he'd obviously seen Nick Saban and, and been a part of that system. So he was an associate with some amount of success. He had a mentor that had some amount of success, obviously, with Clay Helton you had zero association with success. I mean, he came from Memphis. That staff was fired with him as offensive coordinator. He was on his way to become offensive coordinator at Arkansas State, and then Lane came and hired him as a quarterback coach at USC. But, you know, USC really had no tangible amount of success with Lane Kiffin or Steve Sarkeesian. So, as I said in his profile piece, and I actually reposted that, I found that was going through some things, some different files on my computer, and I found that profile piece we did as Clay Helton for candidate during that coaching search and it was one of the things that i said and i've already reiterated reiterated is that clay helton was hired despite his lack of association with success and really his association with failure because you fired the two offensive coaches that were head coaches that you know kept him on so that was obviously a big mistake and you could kind of see that one coming in this case you know dante does have some association with some success that being Mario Cristobal at Oregon, but that's some success. It's a very slight amount of success, certainly not the success or the expectations that USC has for their own football program. So again, yeah, totally understood, valid points. I think most people feel that way, and and we're kind of joking and and pointing fun, you know, people like, hey, you know, we need – Dante's the guy. I don't think anybody was really like ready to just go ahead and say, hey, hire him. I think it was more amount of people saying, hey, hey, if he does this, this, and this, he should have a chance, which I also agree with. I mean, yeah, if you go and you run the table and you, you end up being in a place where you're in a Pac-12 championship and you have a chance to go to a New York Six game, I think you have to consider him. Do you hire him? It, well, it depends on how many people turn you down at that point. You know, Do you hire him over – you know, Luke Fickle or, or Matt Campbell or, or somebody that's, you know, obviously been proven somewhere else that has, you know, that credibility, that becomes the debate. Um, one of the things that both callers brought up was culture, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, there was interesting when Keen Slovis was asked after the game on the performance, and he said, the whole thing isn't going to turn around overnight. Coach Dante has done a great job of holding guys accountable, changing the culture and building the culture. You're not going to see a change in one week. We have a lot of work to do. We've got to stay together and stay up. Um, it's interesting that like, it's pretty much throwing like the old culture under the bus, right? Like basically the yeah. way things were before were terrible and Dante has to change it and it's not going to change overnight. Um, well, listen, our, our own shotgun Spratling had an interesting quote. Uh, and so I won't name names because it, what he heard is he walked by the bench and I told him, I said, dude, you need to put this in the war room. And he didn't put it in the war room, but there was one older player that after the, well, it was, I think in the fourth quarter of the Stanford game that said, um, I'll just say what he said, all that crybaby shit that needs to end said it to a younger player on the bench. And that was very sort of telling a bit, you know, that's a one player to another player. That's a veteran to a freshman and that gives you this weird feeling like eh, there's just some things that were not addressed. And again, this goes back to what I said, a loss like this and, and these type of losses and if the season sort of goes south, you take a step back if you're Mike Bone and you say, 
okay, we're not just addressing some symptoms here. If we're really serious about long-term success, there needs to be adjustment and some diagnosis of some root causes here. Like we need to get to the root causes and what that actually means from a culture standpoint and who you hire. I think that is correlating with that. Yeah. Uh, All right. Let's see. This is uh, another voicemail. Here you go. Last emergency podcast. I think everybody was calling for Clay Helen's This emergency podcast, I think it's a little different. Yeah, we get blown out by an Oregon State team, and I think we should have won, or we should have beat. I think we're, again, a double-digit favorite, 11 or so. But I think the difference this time is that there's a little uncertainty going forward, which is, weirdly enough, kind of gives us fans a little positivity. With Helen, we knew what we were getting with Helen. And we knew what we were going to get with Helen in the future based on what he's done in the past. I think now with the head coaching vacancy, uh, it kind of gives us a little hope going forward. As long as we put somebody good in the right position and kind of whether that's an established coach and moving him over or a relatively unknown person and giving them the chance, I think uh, with Helen gone, we're kind of trending in the right direction, hopefully. And I think this team's got a lot of room to grow, and hopefully it should be good. Thoughts there, Gerard? Well, if you're being optimistic, you're going to say this is like uh, a rehabilitation, or a rebuilding. You you have to hit rock bottom before you can truly kind of look at where you're at and start to build up. Um, so perhaps, you know, and – I obviously most feel like that needs to come from the outside in. And if, again, you're rock bottom and you're talking from a cultural standpoint, the question comes, how can you not hit the reset button? And, and, you know, completely just everything has to change and you have to come in and say, we're going to get a guy. And this is kind of interesting in going to urban Meyer. And I don't want to make this all about urban Meyer because I know the peristyle, Loves Urban Meyer, and there's a lot of there's a lot to go on about Urban Meyer, and, and even you know the past reportings and the past coaching searches and all the nonsense that was out there and the make believe rumors and stories and things that were passed along. And I, so I don't want to try to you know get too much into that, but we did have something in the war room which was interesting from an NFL source that uh, you know did, did talk to some of the players on Jacksonville. And the players, obviously, there's, you know, a cultural conflict there right now. And even one of Urban Meyer's old players that was playing for Denver Broncos, DeMonte Jones, sort of talked about it and opined about, you know, I know what Urban Meyer brings to the table, and I know his philosophy, and it's a college philosophy. It doesn't surprise me what he's doing in Jacksonville isn't working because you're dealing with 25-year-old, 30-plus-year-old men. And that's just not going to work. And that was sort of reiterated by my source. And he went into detail and talked a little bit about this 89-page manual that Urban Meyer had passed out to all the players and all the coaches. And this manual was basically his philosophy on preparing to prepare. So this was not a manual about – this wasn't playbook. This wasn't this, that, and the other. This was literally – this is how you dress – to come to meetings. This is how you should sit and prepare yourself during 
film. This is how, as a coach, you should prepare your pre-practice preparation. This was very detailed, and you're dealing with you know NFL lifer coaches and obviously older players. And this source of several sources basically said, yeah, that ain't going to work. <laughs> that is no. not going to fly. And this source said he needs to go to USC. He, he, and, and, and listening to this, my thought was interjecting into this conversation was, that's what USC needs. <laughs> they need an 89-page manual that is a culture-based manual on how to be, how to be. It's not even the 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 end game. It's not the the icing on the cake. It's the literal batter of this is how you prepare to make the batter. We're going to the root of the root, man. We're going to the soil. We're not even planting yet. We're like, <laughs> and we're going to dig it all up. And that's sort of what Urban Meyer is trying to do in Jacksonville. And that's really butting heads with some of these guys because there's an overall NFL culture. This is, I, I, God, I must have talked to maybe, I don't know, maybe 10 NFL sources like over the past couple of weeks, right? A lot of coaches, a lot of guys I know in the NFL and they all talk and it's kind of a common theme with, you know, there's an NFL culture. Like every team has its culture, but that culture works within the NFL culture, which is different than college football because college football, the unique cultures and the way different coaches do things, that's sort of like a, a bubble. It's like it's a vacuum within itself. Like that exists there. You know, you have the Ed Erdron and you have these other guys. They all have their certain ways of doing things, and that is that. But there's not this encompassing culture that sort of – Everybody lives by, and obviously there's not a, you know, players Inc., a players union. And I think that's what pushes the NFL culture and all these players communicate and they have certain expectations on how they're going to be treated, how they're going to be talked to. And that is not evidently going over well with Urban's attempts to put in his own unique culture. Yeah. Talked about that with some of the people at the tailgate a little bit today that, you know, that it just doesn't seem like that's going to work, but um, yeah. USC does need that right now. They need that kind of like, here's a culture book. <laughs> Read it, use it, live it. The 30-year-old mil you know, multimillionaires, they don't want to hear that stuff. Uh, okay, let's go to our next voicemail. Hi, Ryan. This is Quinn from Fontana once again. Um, I'm watching the end of this game again, and I'm not as, as upset as I was last time. But I'll say this. Um, the defense played the way the defense was going to always play. Um, I always feel like uh, uh, Drake Jackson is uh, playing out of position. And also, the D-line is too small. We need a little bit more girth on that line. Also, on offense, our quarterback Slovis, he has the slowest feet I've ever seen for a quarterback in years. He just can't get away from the rush, and it just—it's everything's just a little bit slow. I got excited about Dart, but since he has surgery, we just play it out. Thanks. Right on. Got some. Some fans in the background there. <laughs> Drake Jackson out of position, Gerard. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's one of my old uh, mantras there, the Drake Jackson experience at outside linebacker. You know, I looked at Drake Jackson, I'm thinking to myself, Drake looks like he weighs less than the Oregon State running back right now. Like, I don't know if that's that's not a – no. I didn't expect that out of Corona Centennial. Yeah, I don't like Drake Jackson at the position he is. I, I kind of feel like he's a guy that's got natural pass rush skills with his hand in the ground, should be a three technique. Um, you know, I understand why USC did it at that point in time, but I kind of felt like, hey, man, you get Corey Foreman, you move Drake inside. And obviously we talked about losing Peely, not having Sopcher. Yes, they are definitely a bit uh, undersized, I-, I think, in terms of their length uh, on the defensive line. And they also lack any real pass rushers, and, you know, any guys that are really, uh, you know, true like Leonard William type guys. Um, not necessarily, though that this defense is built around that either. It's kind of a weird thing because this is really a defense where the interior linemen tend to be body catchers. But again, you need big guys like that. I mean, you need 330 guys that are going to sit there and, and basically take up a gap or play two gap. And they don't have that either. So they're kind of in between not having either thing. They don't have the guy that gets upfield and can be super disruptive as an interior pass rusher. And yet at the same time, they don't necessarily have a guy that's going to be able to just sit in the hole and be an immovable object. Um, in terms of Slovis, you know, we've talked about him a bit. Um, I think one of the biggest red flags with Helton over the years was the regression of the quarterback position, especially when you're considering he's a quarterback coach by craft. And I think that's always a big red flag when you're looking at the head coach and you look at that position of that team. And if that position is struggling, you're kind of thinking to yourself, wow, what? I mean, that's the position that coach is in charge of. And you go back to like Matt Barkley and you look at his career and the way he left USC as opposed to the way he started USC. And then you look at, you know, Max Brown even, who had two years with the scout team before he hit the lights and it looked like he was a deer in headlights when he played. Uh, he just didn't seem like he really had a grasp over the offense. And you're going, you know, you know, at time being coached, <laughs> you know, you, you, you should feel like you should be more prepared. And obviously they opened up, they played against Alabama, really good team. But then they turned around and they played, I think it was Stanford was the second game and didn't look ready either. And you're thinking, you know, the, the development is a big problem here. And we saw it with Sam Darnold came in, redshirt freshman, lit the world on fire, um, coming in for Max Brown as a starter. And then he comes back his redshirt sophomore year and he has 22 turnovers by himself. And so with Slovis, we've seen the same thing. Slovis was making us all look bad uh, from a ranking standpoint. You know, you have the stars don't matter crowd that were in unison with torches and pick forks. And they're saying, look at man, Keen Slovis, is, you guys had him as a three-star. Like, you guys don't know what you're talking about. And now we look at him, and it's like, yeah, he kind of looks like the three-star out of high school. You know, he was really good his freshman year, but now he's holding on the ball. He's locking on the receivers. He's not moving with the pocket awareness that he had as a freshman. And you kind of go, what happened there? And it's, again, that regression. USC has had quarterbacks come in in their first experience, their first starts, and look like world beaters. And then when they're graduating, they look like guys that you're going, man, can this guy, can he make the draft here? I mean, people were talking about King Slovis being a top 10 NFL pick. I mean, if he's going to stay healthy, I'm, now you're kind of questioning, can he get in in the first round at all? I don't know. I mean, the arm strength is still sort of a question. He lost the ball a little bit. Yeah. So that's obviously a big red flag, and that's gone on, and that's been something that I think – falls a lot on, you know, Clay Helton being, again, a quarterback coach by trade and not really having any of his guys, 
you know, get in there and have, you know, a, you know, a decent freshman year and then improve from that point. It just seems like they come in, they do really well, they're highly rated guys. Uh, or in Keaton Slovis, uh, his, you know, situation, he wasn't that highly rated and he surprised a lot of people the way he played as a true freshman. But it's, the trajectory has gone down and he's not looking like that player anymore that's making those, you know, great uh, Houdini type plays. Uh, it's funny. Um, while we're doing this, I have to like um, cr- populate this behind the scenes stuff. Populate the uh, podcast into the feed that we, you know, when we upload it, and the it'll there's like it, it, there's text boxes, and one of them popped up from like the last time I put something about emergency podcast, and you know I've covered, I did one by myself after the Stanford game, but we also did one. Uh, if you and you and I did one after the Oregon game last year, do you remember that? I did not even, I'm like, Oh yeah. Like there's, there's been way too many emergency podcasts over the years, but, uh, we, <laughs> we, we did one after the, the championship game. Well, and that was a tough loss for USC. And it was one of those things again, where you just, the, the issues were there, you know, the whole time. And it's like, you know, the wins sort of gloss over that. It's like, Hey, win is a win. doesn't matter if we almost beat a really bad team and we, probably should have lost that game we won the game because eventually you know the other shoe is going to drop and the roosters come to roost all those cliches they happen and that's what happened in that Oregon game where USC was just they shouldn't have lost that game that that was that was a great opportunity for them to you know just get a Pac-12 title in a shortened year there'd be an asterisk next to it but you still build that recruiting momentum off of that and say hey listen we're defending Pac-12 champions and it was tough you know that to to kind of end the season that way and again the offense is pretty much picked up where they left off yeah. with that season it's just a matter of the defense isn't playing as well it seems like other teams are scheming against the defense better and um and you know the offense isn't able to win the game with you know 30 points it's not happening because you know the, the other team is scoring 45 yeah uh we still have a few voicemails left but we can't have Gerard Martinez on uscfootball.com national recruiting analyst without talking a little recruiting too. Um, yeah, USC gets two commitments today. That's gonna you know get glossed over quite a bit, obviously, by the fans after this type of loss. But two commitments today. But what does this loss mean? Obviously, you get two commitments a day. You get blown out at home by Oregon State, but um, just long term, like we don't need to get into some of this. But just Dante Williams is someone that can keep the class together. He's a ace recruiter. Does this hurt his recruit, you know, ability to recruit when you know you start losing games as the interim head coach, um, and people aren't as excited about you, and they're not talking about you taking over? Um, I mean, how, what kind of impact do you think this has, like high level on recruiting? Well, your choice of words is interesting because you said long term, and these two commits are very long term. You have Jason Richardson, a wide receiver who's a 2024 commit. So we're talking about a kid just coming out of his freshman year. And then you have Aaron White, Aaron White out of Orange, who is an athlete, probably a defensive back, but he's 2025. So he's got a long ways to go before we really know what position he ends up playing. So two commitments, but they are way, way down the line. And I think this is sort of what we saw with Ed Ergeron when he was interim coach. He was very aggressive on the recruiting trail. A lot of offers went out to local players. I think it was a 
really move to get momentum with the local players, the local high school coaches, just get people excited and energized about Trojan football again. And I think that's sort of the philosophy and the strategy that you're seeing with Dante Williams. I think you're seeing, you know, try to emphasize more on the local players. And if we've got to go a little further out, you know, to get those local players excited again, uh, because we are that more far removed from the Pete Carroll era. You have to remember that with Ed Ergeron, being a guy that was a part of that staff, he was able to sell that a little harder. Now you're selling, you know, 10 years since USC has been nationally relevant. So they're, you know, going after 2024, 2025. It's a little farther out there. But it's really just an attempt to get some energy and get some momentum going on the recruiting trail. For Dante personally, I don't think it really matters. I don't think it impacts him as a local recruit too much there is a little bit of sense like you know is this kind of going back to the lane kiffing sort of bush league david sills offers and guys that you know that i mean who knows if dante williams is going to be coaching at usc in 2025 right you know who knows uh what the program's going to look like and and who's going to be the head coach and you know taking commitments at this point and offers and all that kind of stuff everything is so much in flux i mean we just had an award when we talked about this a little bit on the peristyle uh when we were talking about uh, it was aaron white and when he committed it's like yeah that's a little off the radar right now 2025 i mean i just talked to de'anthony gadson a 2022 senior running back from newton high school in texas who's committed to usc and I literally had spoken to him like on a Monday night or a Sunday night after USC's win in Pullman over Washington State and talked to him a little bit about Jackson Dart, talked to him a little bit about Dante Williams' first win and, you know, what he expected or wanted to see out of USC going forward. And he said, you know, I'm excited to play with Jackson Dart, and I think things are looking really good for USC. And, you know, I've talked to Coach Williams, and I talked to Mike Jenks, and they said they still want me. I'm still part of the plan, so on and so forth. And less than 24 hours later, he decommits from USC. So, you know, that's a guy that's a senior that's going to be signing in December, let alone a kid that's, you know, 2025 and uh, not really played any high school football yet. So that's, you know, kind of an interesting dynamic, and you sort of take it with a grain of salt. But I think overall it's just an attempt to, again, create some momentum, you know, uh, make the local players uh, feel good again. You know, USC's got to get back in touch with that. And, And certainly how you play on the field, the winning, the culture, the development of players, you know, all that stuff falls in the line. And obviously USC has not been USC of old when it comes to that. At least USC, you know, back with the Pete Carroll era where you're winning games and you're putting guys in the first round and there's sort of a cycle and a system of that. Um, USC's been a little hit and miss with that. And uh, eight-win seasons are not going to cure that. Um, you know, obviously losing at home is is not going to cure that. USC also had five-star guard uh, from Arlington, Texas, Devin Campbell, uh, on an unofficial visit. They actually had a very good group of unofficial visitors at the Coliseum tonight. And so that was great for Oregon State, <laughs> you know, some of those local kids and, and trying to build up their program. Obviously, it's it's not good for USC. But at the end of the day, it's good to get them on campus. It's good to, you know, keep those relationships, keep those feet in the door. And if you're Dante Williams, you know, you, you have to do that. And if you're the support staff, anybody really on the staff, you got to keep recruiting because you don't know what the next head coach wants to do when he comes in. It could be a guy like James Franklin who wants to keep rolling in recruiting and may find there to be a lot of value in overlap and keeping uh, some of the staff 
uh, on on staff and, and keeping these guys, you know, there and, and being able to just go forward and it would be a, a quicker uh, transition. But then you have other guys that you go, man, uh, Matt Campbell, you know, from Iowa State. And I know everybody's down on Matt Campbell. He lost to our dark horse, Dave Aranda. You know, we, we're getting a lot of uh, hissing and booing uh, from the peanut gallery about having David Duranda. Uh, David Aranda on the coaching hot board. And, and I understand, you know, he hasn't really done a whole lot as a head coach. He hasn't been proven. And I know that's something that a lot of us talk about, like, you know, that needs to be at the top of the list, like a guy that's been a proven head coach elsewhere. But we know that USC tried to get him as a defensive coordinator and, and a pretty good source implied that they were actually pretty close to, 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 to landing that deal, which would have been kind of amazing. That was instead of Todd Orlando, um, which interestingly enough, you know, Todd Orlando basically adopted Dave Aranda's uh, uh, system when he was at Utah State. Dave Aranda had moved on at that point, and Todd Orlando came in, and they don't, really don't have a relationship together. But Aranda was just so successful under Gary Anderson at, at Utah State that Todd Orlando looked at that defense and said, you know, let's kind of keep doing this whole tight front thing. And so uh, Aranda got his biggest win probably of his head coaching career uh, over Iowa State. Uh, barely looked pretty good this week. But, um, but you know what? Matt Campbell's still a hell of a coach. And, again, the week-to-week stuff and whatever, you really got to look at the whole philosophy, the whole system, you know, what they really are about as a coach and the guys they've developed. Um, and when you're thinking about culture, it's more than just a couple games this season. You know, you have to look at the bigger picture with that. So um, it's tough. This is this is not going to be uh, an easy hire. You know, there's not just, the, well, outside Urban Meyer, of course, the USC fans are saying right now, the obvious pick. Um, I think, you know, when you're at Cincinnati and you're Mike Bone, uh, I mean, I think Luke Fickle is at the top of the list for sure. You know, there's a guy that's won a national championship as a defensive coordinator. He was interim coach between Trestle and uh, Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer decides to keep him along. He's a native Ohio guy. You know, that's sort of like, okay, that's going to be one of my top guys on my list. I don't know if there's a guy like that right now. I mean, unless you're going to say Fickle, but I think Fickle is still – I think there's debate there, you know, as to like, okay, is he really a home run hire? You know, there's, he's not from here. He's not from, uh, you know, the region recruiting wise. Would he pick it up? I mean, I feel he would because he's an ex NFL player. I think he's seen that, done that at that level. And being at Ohio state, he recruited at a high level under Trestle and then under urban Meyer. So I don't think that's a big a question, but for other people, it is, you know, getting a guy that doesn't have those California ties. And so, yeah, there's, and, and, you know, obviously just being at Cincinnati, that's not necessarily a power five school so you know you always have the tom herman uh hesitation which you know you get a guy from a, you know a houston and you think oh that's a slam dunk hire like and, and i still to this day i mean i don't think texas can do it any different in that situation i mean i think that was the higher you got to make and it just didn't work out and i don't know why it didn't work out i mean there's things that have rumors that are floating around i want to get into that speculation but you know on paper that's a great hire, and you have to do that, and you can't apologize for that hire. And if USC could just do that once, like, you know, maybe it doesn't work out. And everybody else, you know, in, in hindsight will go, oh, they should have done this, they shouldn't have done that. But no, you know, you, you just got to try, and you got to, you know, look at the numbers, and you got to crunch it, and you got to say, okay, if this is the guy that's most qualified for this position to do what we really want to do. And, you know, you want to get back to national prominence. All right, we've got a few more voicemails, and we'll finish this up. Here's the next one. Ryan, Keeley, Shotgun, 
guys, we all appreciate all the work you've done, but we are very sorry that you guys have to keep apologizing for this bull. <laughs> excuse me, excuse me. That we have to keep watching every week. Um, hopefully, Bone will get some changes going made soon because this is embarrassing. And I keep having to make excuses to everyone at work every week as to why we suck so much ass. Fight on. <laughs> Thank you guys for trying to keep it positive. Bye. Nice. We'll pass Ryan that along Fox. to Keely and Shotgun. <laughs> What'd you say? So thoughts on that? That, that was the ball into your court on this one. Uh, yeah. Thoughts on? The colorful language. I like it. Um, you know, you don't want to have to go to work and hear how bad you are, you know, uh, week after week, a little excitement last week. And, uh, this one's bad. It was, uh, we were talking to some of the reporters, Gerard on the field afterwards. And, uh, I think it was Antonio Morales was like, it's going to be a long two months, you know, like literally right now it's like a coaching search. Like that's what's important. And there was a chance that this team like makes a run and that's not looking all that, you know, promising right now. It could be a really long couple of months for us as they, you sort of just have to like play out the string of the season. Is that bad? Like it, you're four games in and you're like, yeah, uh, you got two packs of losses already. Like if you're not winning the South, you know, you're not winning the South. Like, do you really care? Now they haven't played a conference game, uh, a division game yet, but it's one of those things, Gerard, where it's just like, yeah, I, I don't know, man. Like, we gonna de-emphasize the season and only like look at the the coaching search. I, I it's not there yet, but man, um, I mean, you miss this sport so much when it's gone, and you feel like it's like last season was sort of throwaway. It's almost like this one's a throwaway too. It's like so bad. Well, listen, it's been a long ten years, so I mean, at this point, I think there's a lot of excitement still because there's a change going to be made. And so I don't think it's quite as bad. I mean, maybe I'm just being optimistic, but I mean, I read the boards and, you know, I've moderated the boards for the past 10 years and I've banned so many people and had to delete so many posts. And there's, I mean, people have no idea, like the stuff that gets on there and 16 hour days, just sitting on the message board, you know, trying to make sure that things are somewhat civil. It's not that bad right now. It's, it's good uh, because there's potential. There is that potential that USC goes out and they make a hire that obviously changes the trajectory of the football program for the better. And so that's, you know, going to keep everybody afloat for now. You know, these losses are bad. They suck. And, and you, you don't want to see the team go out. You want to see them be competitive, you know, and this, this was, again, I think the Stanford game was like, it was, it was a bad game. I feel like this game was just worse in terms of the beating. I just feel like, I mean, you look at the penalty yards, like you said, that Oregon State gave USC, and they still, you know, blew them out, really. I mean, they just had no answer for uh, the methodical run game and the play action that Oregon State had. And then, you know, offensively, again, we just saw what USC has been kind of doing the last uh, couple seasons. Um, I do think that with the change, uh, it, it, there is some some light at the end of the tunnel. Hopefully, obviously, if there's a hire that's made that is very controversial, or the fans feel like it's just a cheap hire and it's you know not really going to you know take that big step forward and and getting somebody who's proven or what have you, it's so hard to know like you know 
I, the really weird thing was doing those polls. So we did with the coaching hot board, we included a poll for every coach, except for Dante Williams, who just actually was added to the hot board this past week um, because we needed more time, you know, to be fair as to whether people thought that, you know, he would be a, a good candidate or not. Um, I know what the answers are going to be now to, to that after this week. But uh, having said that, we did that with Urban Meyer. We did that with Chris Peterson. We did that uh, with uh, Bob Stoops, Luke Fickle, Matt Campbell, et cetera, et cetera, PJ Fleck. And it was just interesting to see how many people were really not – they were undecided or, or they didn't like a lot of those candidates that I would think – you know, we're in the middle of, you know, Clay Helton era and he's still the head coach where everybody's like, hey, man, I could take anybody over him. Like, I'd take this guy or that guy, Jimmy Lake. Man, I'd take Jimmy Lake over him. I'd take this coach and that coach. But then when you put up those polls with Clay Helton already fired, it's like, well, wait a second. Hold on now. Chris Peterson? Are we sure? He's stressed out at Washington. Uh, I don't like the sounds of that. I don't think we need to. No, no, no. I don't want anything to do with it. Matt Campbell? What? What? You you lost to Iowa? No, 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 no. We can't even consider Matt Campbell. We can't. You know, and it would really was Urban Meyer and everybody else, uh, which is tough. You know, <laughs> we got the ten million dollar plus man in Jacksonville who's on his contract. I mean, like, I don't know. I, I just uh, that. How can you make? people happy or the majority of people happy uh, maybe that's just not a good reflection of what the fan base really thinks like if you hired matt campbell are people really going to be like this is a terrible hire or, or, or luke fickle because there's a lot of people on the board that don't think luke fickle would be a good hire they don't think james franklin would be a good hire um so that's tough man you're getting really elite i mean you're again like you saw today with people approaching sasna they think urban meyer should have been the guy hired and so they feel like he's the only choice and that's tough <laughs> when, you know, you're, again, looking at a guy that's making 10, maybe $12 million in the NFL. And, yeah, he has a losing season this season. Okay, is he going to walk away from that? And more importantly, are the Jaguars going to let him walk away from that? I mean, you know, that mm, uh, that's, uh, that's a tough one. Yeah. Uh, okay, we got a couple more. Here's the next one. Hey, Ryan, this is Jason calling from Boston at roughly 2 a.m. following U.S. East debacle, Oregon State. Listen, this is frustrating. This sucks. I think that, as John Wilner on Twitter said, this is U.S.C.'s years of lack of discipline and development and bad recruiting coming home to roost. But whatever happens this year, just remember a new coach is on the way. So better days are coming. Hopefully soon. Fight on. Yeah, I think better days are coming. Uh, it just might be a while. You know, it's sort of like, you know, you like George Klyavkov who comes in, take over the Pac-12. And I was talking to some of the people at the tailgate, like maybe don't follow it like super close. And like, well, when's the TV stuff going to get fixed? And I'm like, well, they, their contract goes till 2024. So he can't really do much until after that. And they're like, you can't do anything. I'm like, well, no, I mean, I actually talked to him personally about this and uh, there's just not a lot you can do uh, until the, t the contract's over. So better days are ahead, but like, when are those better days? Um, Boy, that's another can of worms is USC and the PAC 12, but we won't even go there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but same thing with this, you know, it's still a really talented team. And if they get things together, they can, you know, win a bunch of their games left over and fans could have fun, but you feel bad, like two night games in the Coliseum, the blackout stuff, it looked cool. You know, the, the environment for 
Stanford was great, and it was it was pretty good tonight. There was you know fewer people there than I thought, but it was cool. We had the tailgate, and I think there was a lot of people excited for a home game without Clay Helton. And then the team like lays another egg. So yeah, better days ahead. Just not sure when. <laughs> yeah, I mean that just reiterates what I said before. I think that does keep people somewhat optimistic. I think it would definitely be different if Clay Helton was still the head coach, it would just be more vitriol and people would just be more upset. And, um, you know, we've gotten at least a little bit away from that. And, uh, you know, there's, there's potentially, you know, somebody in the wings that can come in and can write the ship again. I, I think now you're just looking at um, the symptoms that are popping up. And again, do you hire someone with the thought of, okay, they come in and they just address some symptoms or is it gotten to the point where now you've lost to Stanford and you've lost to Oregon state emphatic losses. Now these are losses that you you're not playing real competitive with these teams. And these are not the top teams in the conference in a conference, by the way, which has been absolutely dreadful. So, I mean, that kind of went to the discussion about Mario Cristobal and, you know, is he a guy that you go after? And a lot of people are saying, you know, he would be the top guy on the list. There's been even some reports of that and just, you know, went through the whole logic of it all. And and at the top of the list is, okay, you're going to go after a guy that's been, you know, the, the, had his team at the top of a conference, but you have to feel confidence that this conference is a good conference. And it's not like it's not like you're going after the top guy in the Big Ten or the SEC. You're going after the top guy in a conference that just hasn't been very competitive nationally. So what do you want to do if you're USC? Is it just about, you know, winning nine or ten games and, you know, winning the Pac-12 every couple of years and that's satisfying? Hey, we get to go to the Rose Bowl. Or do you actually want to get to that point where you are competing with Oklahoma, Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, that elite of the elite, those schools that have been there, Notre Dame, those schools that have been in the college football playoff contender, uh, that national championship contender uh, elite group over the past few years. And if you want to do that, again, I mean, these type of losses really take you take a step back and you have to really think, okay, we we, we got to start digging here and we got to really um, get to a point where we feel like culturally – it's just reset. And, you know, it's going to be tougher than it has been for other teams in the past because you've got that transfer portal and you've got a lot of these kids that may say, you know what, I want the ice cream. I want to hear how great I am. I want to have the softer culture where I will be coddled and I don't want a coach coming in here and telling me you have no business even thinking about the NFL and you need to do this, this, and this, and just, you know, kind of just coming at you just a completely different way. You don't know how that's going to work in this sort of transfer porthole era of college football, you know, and it can work for you. It can work against you. You know, it can be one of these things where you get some guys that want to come into your football program because of what they've seen that coach do. Obviously, the head coach-wise, you can't take transfers from that school, okay? So let's make that clear. That's not something that's going to happen. But you can still have a coach come in, and he's got a pedigree, and it actually attracts you know, other football players, and you can fill in maybe some places where you lose players because of, you know, the vice versa, where, you know, they're used to the Clay Helton culture, which, like you said, I mean, that's now being sort of thrown under the bus, you know, kind of by the players and even Dante addressing that, changing the culture, changing the culture, you know, is that just lip service? Are you really trying to do it? Well, a new coach has obviously got to do it. 
And so some of these players are not probably going to feel that and they're going to go, okay, I'm going to go somewhere else and, you know, go with maybe the, a position coach that's left and they've gone, you know, somewhere else. And, and I, you know, I know that culture and I'm comfortable with that culture, uh, but you're going to have to backfill. And the transfer portal, like I said, it can work both ways. It can be a two-way street for USC, but I think you're going to see probably more to leave uh, potentially than, than come in. So, it, it, again, the rebuilding is, you know, we're, we're talking about rebuilding now. This, this is the loss that you start to go, it's not just glossing over the symptoms. We're talking about root causes, and when you start talking about root causes and you start talking about really, really changing the culture and getting serious about it, you know, that, that's, that's a different thing. That's a different thing now. All right, got one last one, and then we'll uh, let you go, Gerard. Here you go. Hey, Ryan, Jane, you type, uh, uh, recently you stated that most teams in the Pac-12 would uh, happily trade rosters with USC. Do you think that's still the case after tonight? Thanks. Roster didn't change tonight, um, but Gerard, you're a recruiting guru. Uh, do you still think most teams of the Pac-12 would change switch rosters with USC if they had the chance? Most teams, yeah. I think most teams would. Um, all teams, no, but I think most teams would. Um, now, obviously, there's you know scheme and what have you and personnel and you know some you know, like you know would Chip Kelly switch his roster for USC's roster. I don't think Chip Kelly would. I think Chip Kelly is uh, a very stubborn guy and he's sort of, you know, gone out of his way to recruit his guys, you know, and bring in his guys and do things his way. Now that hasn't been terribly successful, um, but he's the kind of guy that's staunch in sort of what he's looking for. But I think there's, you know, plenty of schools, Utah and Colorado, that would definitely take the personnel that USC has, you know, Drake London, Drake Jackson. Um, they've got some really good running back transfers, you know, that sort of boggles the mind, you know, that kind of goes along with the whole, why can't they get uh, offensive tackle transfers? Uh, why can't they sign good receivers right out of high school, especially locally? And how on the flip side, were they able to get these running back transfers that were pretty decent players when they don't run the football, <laughs> they didn't have any success running the football. You know, you think about Darn Barlow, like what is Darn Barlow thinking right now? He left TCU to get like a carry <laughs> for a team that's two and two right now. And, you know, not looking like, you know, you're going to know who the coaches are going to be, who your running back coach is going to be in year. Very strange. Like there's just some very unexplainable things from that standpoint, personnel-wise, when you evaluate the roster at USC, they've gone into East Texas, of all places, and try to sort of make that their honey hole outside of California. And you go, East Texas, well, the places in Texas you would go to, you know, you've got DFW, you've got Houston, you've got bigger cities. You're going to one of the more rural places in Texas with guys that are country boys and bringing them over. Like, culturally, is that a fit? There's a lot of questions that have gone on over the Clay Helton years and things that just kind of have been inexplicable, and that's sort of where we sit now uh, when it comes to, you know, when we're, we're looking at the roster and sort of going forward and what personnel changes would be made. But from a just pure talent standpoint, yeah, I think there are a majority, a majority of the schools in the Pac-12, which are not good. I mean, at this point, we're sort of uh, living the, the philosophy and what Larry Scott came to do, and that was parody. Unfortunately, the parody is now not within the Pac-12. The parody is the Pac-12 with the Mountain West Conference because they're about on the same level in terms of their play on the field. 
Um, I think you'd like this recruiting story. Uh, I, I have a friend that works for Oregon State. I covered him when he was at Fresno State. Um, B.J. Baylor, he had 23 carries, 158 yards. Uh, he had a 44-yard run called back for a holding call that seemed kind of phantomy, at least from did you did you see that one? Was that a real holding call or was that not really? I did. It, it, it was it was a fifty fifty call. You know, it was kind of one of those things that in the Pac twelve is going to get called all day, in the SEC it probably doesn't get called, in the Big Twelve it's a coin flip. Yeah, well, it, that would have put him over two hundred yards. But and I saw him like uh, walk into the interview room afterwards after in the tunnel, just like thick legs, like, and I was like, I asked my buddy, I'm like, so where's that dude from? He's like, he's from Texas. He was like going to go, and I forget that it was like some small school, like Furman or something. It was something like that. And uh, they convinced him. Uh, that's my buddy who's like, uh, like convinced him, hey, come up to Corvallis. And uh, he's a he's a stud now. So um, that's the kind of stuff. Well, they got Jacquez Rogers out of Texas. I mean, Oregon State's actually gotten some pretty decent players out of Texas. I mean, USC's gotten some pretty decent players out of Texas as well. It's just one of those things where – you know, your Oregon State, you've got to do that. You know, you're not going to be able to just recruit Corvallis and get a bunch of players or even recruit Portland. You're dealing with Oregon there. USC is not that. USC should be able to grab, you know, the majority of the good local players and not necessarily have to go to East Texas to reinvent themselves. I mean, right now they're getting their butts kicked in Orange County. I mean, that you know, you've got guys at St. John Bosco, Modern Day, and Servite, um, you know, T-Mac McMillan is going to Oregon. You've got Raleigh Brown, who's committed to Oklahoma. Uh, you've got the three kids at Los Alamitos, Makai, uh, Malachi Riley, um, DeAndre Moore, and um, um, uh, Makai Lemon that, you know, are all 2023 players, and two of them are five stars, and they're going to Oklahoma. It's like that's that's bad. That's, that's a, you know, kind of a admission of guilt in terms of recruiting. And, you know, USC made a good splash in 2021 when they were able to get Corey Foreman, you know, that was a lot of Dante coming in and they're able to get Rashawn Davis. They had a good recruiting class in 2020. They still were whiffing on offensive linemen. And obviously that's, that's hurting them now. And that's going to hurt them, you know, in the next couple of years, because they really don't have those uh, franchise type guys that they've had in the past. And, um, you know, they're, they're again, sort of whiffing on some guys locally that we've just come accustomed to USC getting those guys, like, automatically. Um, that's not happening. And so, yeah, the next head coach, uh, again, this is a dynamic in terms of, you know, you're bringing somebody in if, if he has local ties. I mean, Pete Carroll didn't have really a lot of local ties. I mean, he went to Pacific, and he was kind of a West Coast guy, and coached with the 49ers, but the latter states of his career, he was more of an East Coast guy with New England, with the Jets. Um, you can have position coaches and support staff that can do the legwork locally. Uh, at the end of the day, you do have to, you know, you have to recruit hard, but you have to win games and you have to develop. I mean, the majority of these kids we talk to, the USC degree is nice and everything, but the first thing out of their mouths, if they're a high four-star or five-star, is who's going to develop me and get me to the NFL? That's what I want to know. And if you're developing guys and getting them to the point where the NFL is looking at them as uh, high draft picks, then you're probably winning games because they're playing well. So it sort of goes hand-in-hand, hand, and that's at the top of the list with every kid. It's not facilities. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's how I vibe with the coaches, 
but more importantly, how do I get to the NFL and how do they help me get to the NFL? You know, not a lot of guys vibing with Nick Saban. You know, they're all, oh, yeah, talk to Nick Saban. He's a cool guy and everything. You know what they know about Nick Saban? He gets guys to the NFL and he wins national championships. So that's, you know, always at the top of the list when it comes to recruiting. All right, Gerard. Well, good stuff. Uh, it's almost, it's quarter to three in the morning right now. So this will get up. Um, as soon as I edit it and get it up here for everyone, but good stuff. Uh, go get some sleep, man. I think uh, you deserve it. I need to get some too. No, I'm good. I'm, I'm <laughs> we're in uh, we're in that state where we're like uh, weird hours and, and and crazy stuff happening. And uh, you get some sleep. I mean, you're you're Mr. Tailgate guy. You're down there. I'm sure real early in the morning and uh, you know getting the getting the beer together and. Uh, you know, kissing babies and shaking hands, even during the pandemic. Ryan will be out there. Ryan will be out there, and he will be uh, flying the flag for uscfootball.com. Uh, I was, and I got to uh, meet Shotgun's baby, Zeddy. Uh, that was very cool. Um, Shotgun probably pulling weird hours. Well, yeah, we know Shotgun. Actually, you know, to be truthful, majority of us actually pull weird hours. Like, you're probably the most normal, you and Chris, and then Keely's always weird with hours because she emails me email like usually when she has uh, war room stuff it comes in at two thirty in the morning. So I'm usually off a of Friday and we're in the weekend. My total schedule is is on Keely's schedule because I'm waiting for war room stuff. And then shotgun, you never know when you're going to get a text message from him in the middle of the night about something random. So yeah, we're we're pretty much night owls and and that's the way it goes. Um, you're actually the guy that's probably hurting the most right now because again you have the most nine to five hours usually. That's right. Yeah, I try to a little more of that, but uh, not on emergency podcast nights. But all right. Well, good stuff, uh, Gerard. And I hope everyone enjoyed this edition of the uh, emergency Peristyle podcast. We'll be back with Harvey Hyde, get more analysis uh, of this game going forward, see where this team goes. But for Gerard Martinez, I am Ryan Abraham. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Peristyle podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 